Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 291. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is raw material ingredient entrepreneur Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Valerie, so good that you're here. Love getting a show together right before I leave off on vacation. And you know what we're going to cover today on the show? We're going to cover the following questions. Why do companies use retinol palmitate instead of retinol? Do thickening shampoos work for people with hair loss concerns? How fast does vitamin C oxidize? Hmm. And what are your thoughts on mineral oil? And do hair minimizing products have an ingredient that actually slows hair growth? Fascinating stuff. What a great show. But before we get to that, yeah, yeah, before we get to that, our uh, general chit-chat, nobody wants to hear about your vacation, Perry, so we'll skip that. But Valerie, it looks like you have a new ingredient you're excited about, huh? Oh my gosh, yeah. So I'm actually here at our uh, warehouse slash lab slash everywhere that, you know, I work on you know, my exciting ingredients. And I'm waiting for the delivery driver to drop off our new ingredient. It was actually supposed to be here last week. And I'm, I'm just so excited. It's like a little kid on Christmas. I can't reveal what it is because that'll spoil uh, the entire launch that I have planned. Actually, it's here. It's here. Oh my gosh, Perry, it's here. Yeah. Should I leave it recording? Uh, Yeah. All right. I'll be right back. Hang on. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm back. It's here. All right. That's exciting. So are you going to do like one of those YouTube unpacking? (laughs) These boxes are trashed. They're awful. They were supposed to come last week, and I have a feeling they were bobbling around around the uh, FedEx location because uh, they never came. But they're here. Well, I'm sure in a future episode, you'll tell us all about it. Yay, I will. Actually, Valerie, I also saw... That you are going to be some panel speaker at what's this upcoming show? Beauty something or other? Makeup. Makeup or other? LA. It is a show geared towards makeup and estheticians and makeup artists. And I will be speaking on a panel on behalf of the Society of Cosmetic Chemists about the latest and greatest ingredients in color cosmetics and skincare. Well, that sounds fascinating. I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for anybody in the L.A. area. Maybe they get to go see Valerie. Yeah, and I will also hopefully live uh, Instagram the show. Uh, so if you're not following our Instagram okay. account, the Beauty Brains 2018, make sure you're following because I'll, I'll get to walk the show floor. That is excellent. All right, are we ready to move into beauty science news? <laughs> So for once, Perry, I actually saw something that I thought you'd be interested in. Really? Well, I mean, I think you're always interested in this stuff, but I immediately thought, Perry. Uh, So (laughs) Nutrafol, which is a supplement company for Uh hair and hair health, (laughs) has published a paper uh, where they studied hair growth across uh, differing populations. And I thought you would find it interesting because... um, it's a journal that they've published in 
the Journal of Clinical and Aesthetic Dermatology. That's it's like a real journal, right? Is it peer-reviewed? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Well, they somehow allowed this publication of a six-month single-blind <laughs> oh my, prospective uh. clinical study uh, where people basically just said, hey, I, I think this is growing my hair back, this supplement I've been taking for six months, uh, both men and women. And I also, I'm not sure that they even had a control in this study. Did you get a chance to look at it? I looked at the study and saw no control. I, they did crow about it being single-blinded, which means the people giving the stuff knew, but the uh, the subjects didn't know what they were getting. So I guess it's blinded that way. <laughs> but as far as uh, as far as having a control, like normally a study like this, you would give your supplement to one group of people. And then you would give some sugar pills or something, some not your supplement to other people, because that couldn't help to figure out how much of the change is due to like a placebo effect mm-hmm. and things. From what I can tell, I see no, there was no placebo control here. So they just essentially gave people the supplements, had them assess what they thought their hair was before they started taking it, and then did some uh, assessment of what they thought their hair was like 12 and 24 weeks later of taking this pill every day. Uh, And shockingly, (laughs) you know, 83% of the men thought there was something and uh, 79.5% of women thought there was something after 24 weeks. Is that just amazing or what? It's pretty amazing. I mean, honestly, Perry, I was kind of shocked to see this in a, a scientific publication because it kind of sounds like a consumer testing study, Yeah, <laughs> which is very common. You can hire these companies to do some consumer market research where individuals test your product. They can know what it is or not know what it is. So in this case, that would be single blind right there. And then you fill right, out a right. survey at the end, a usually a self-diagnostic uh, questionnaire, kind of like this, and then they tabulate the results. So to me, this really wasn't a study. And the other thing I want to raise to our listeners is that anytime a study is published, had you know the name Nutrafol been taken out of it, um, you know, you still have to ask yourself, who did this research? How were they funded for it? And what do they have to gain by publishing it? And in this case, it's it was done by a brand. So this is highly biased in in my opinion. And right. the products don't even have qualified drug actives in them. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. So I mean, they literally have a growth activator that says drug-free. Because they want to continue to be a supplement. And the thing about supplements in the United States they're way unregulated, and as long as you don't make any blatant uh, blatant health claims, you can pretty much say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and they do. <laughs> yeah, as, so as we can see. So uh, it's just something yeah. I thought was interesting. I thought you'd get a good laugh out of it, and we could uh, just sh- show our listeners to be cautious uh, when seeing yeah. a study about who who's behind it and what do they have to gain. But I have to say, shame on the uh, Journal of Clinical and Aesthetic Dermatology for publishing such, such a study. <laughs> I mean, and trying to pass it off as science. This is, uh, this is the kind of study that works if you're trying to substantiate a claim for a TV commercial or uh, an advertisement or something. This shouldn't be in a scientific journal. Is it? This is. I mean, ah, okay. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the. Uh, 
the PhDs who uh, ran the study were uh, were paid well. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know you'd get, get a kick out of it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, indeed. Shall we move on to questions? Oh, we have such a good set of questions today. This one comes to us from Vladimir. Vladimir says, Hi, my friend asked me for an anti-wrinkle cream for the under eye area, so I decided to maybe suggest one of L'Oreal's retinol creams since I've heard that a big company that uses an ingredient for a while is a safe choice. I would agree with that. As far as safety goes, Mm -hmm. the big companies are, you know, most reliable there. I know about retinols, but never cared about them in cosmetics because I use adepaline to treat my acne. So it was shocking to me that L'Oreal cream here in Russia is different from the same cream in Europe and the U.S. It has retinol replaced with retinyl palmitate. In fact, almost all retinol creams have it in the component list listed uh, of actual retinol that I see in Western products. So my question is this. Is this replacement a cost savings measure? Does retinol cost that much more than retinol palmitate? And does retinol palmitate have comparable anti-age and anti-wrinkle effectiveness? Because to date, I knew that it's a component of medical moisturizers for a skin uh, with certain conditions, but that doesn't seem to be in the same category as retinol, retinal, and retinoin from the research I've done uh, about an anti-aging effect. So what are your thoughts? Thank you. Well, thanks for that question. Yeah, a uh, fascinating question here. There's a couple of things here. First, um, why would the company replace retinol, uh, retinol with retinaldehyde, and whether it's a um, or retinol palmitate, and whether it is a cost saving? I don't think it's a cost savings from the price of these raw materials. I don't think you're going to save that much more money by going to one over the other. So we can get that one kind of out of the way. Is that your uh, opinion too? Exactly. I think it's actually a stability issue. Retinol palmitate is an ester of retinol. And retinol is famous for being instable in formulations and also being very fickle to formulate with. There's a lot of parameters, and even then you're not guaranteed stability. So a lot of formulators will use retinol palmitate because when it is the ester version, it tends to be a lot more stable over the shelf life of the formulation. And you can... use it and still make all the same kind of claims that you want because you're just making cosmetic claims. Consumers think retinol palmitate and retinol, ah, there's some, they're retinoid, so you can make the same kind of claims. But, but as to the question of, you know, why in the Europe and the U.S. they make one formula and why in Russia they make a different one, I think some of that might have to do with their ability to get access to raw materials. The U.S. and Europe can get certain raw materials that other places in the world can't get them. And so while the U.S. and Europe, they might have a versions of all the raw materials that don't cause stability problems, maybe when they went to Russia and they locally sourced some things, then there were some stability issues. And so to take care of that, maybe they just switch out retinol palmitate with retinol. It's probably a lot easier than having to you know, import ingredients and that kind of thing. That would be my guess. It could also be a regulation issue. Uh, for, you know, for some reason, maybe Russia has some concern since you noted that almost all retinol creams have retinol palmitate listed instead of actual retinol. So it could be that the regulations are different. Russia, although um, 
you know, it's located next to the EU, it actually has its own set of regulations that it's it follows. Right. So it could be that. It could also be stability from a, a temperature perspective. I know that in products that we have sent to Russia in my past life, the stability was always a challenge because it gets pretty cold over there. And so maybe yeah, using yeah. <laughs> something like retinyl palmitate is your best bet. Now, as far as it its efficacy goes, Perry, what do we know about the efficacy of retinal palmitate versus retinol? As far as versus retinol, retinol is just superior in as far as performance goes. In fact, uh, retinol palmitate, it's debatable whether it has any real noticeable effect at all. Well, it's the weakest retinol version, yeah, right? the weakest of all the retinoids. Yeah. Yeah. But it's stable, whereas retinol, it, it might be stable. the most effective. Uh, you're probably right. not getting any by the time you uh, pick right. your product yeah. out of the bathroom. Exactly. I think when it comes down to it, these products uh, will be nice moisturizers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they have some impact, the retinol palmitate has some impact, maybe you'll see it. Probably not. It's mostly the moisturizing. Yeah. You know, um, if I were to buy a retinol product, I probably would just reach for something with retinol because, you know, retinol palmitate's nice. And if there's other attributes of the cream, reach for it. Uh, but if I'm looking for actual retinol, I would uh, pick one up from a pharmaceutical company. I would look for um, like the Allergans and the, the Bayers and the J&Js uh, for, for any retinol creams that list a percentage on the label because they probably yeah. are doing all the testing to make sure you're getting that, you know, 0.25% retinol or 0.5% retinol throughout the entire life of the product. And bless their heart, the ordinary is perfectly fine. But, you know, I, I'd, re I'd rely more on the uh, pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, I know Vladimir didn't ask about that, but I just thought I'd throw in my <laughs> sure. opinion. You know, if I were looking for a retinol product, surely retinol palmitate's fine, but I would get uh, something from a pharmaceutical brand. You know, if I was looking for a retinol product, what I would do? Uh, I would just go into my, my wife's bathroom and see what she's using. I was a little speechless for a second. <laughs> right, I was like, oh, my gosh, are. he's looking for a retinal product. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's go on to question two. This one comes from a patron, a new patron. Actually, Matthew said he was a longtime listener, um, but he's new to Patreon. Oh, thanks so much, Matthew. Well, Matthew says, hi there. I'm a longtime listener, but a new patron. I have a question regarding shampoos for hair loss. I currently take finasteride and minoxidil for hair loss. I also use Nizoral shampoo, as I've heard this can help as well. I've used fortifying, densifying, and thickening shampoos from brands like American Crew, Avita, and Kerastase, which are all targeted at men with my hair concerns. Are these going to make any significant difference to my hair, or are they just nice-smelling, expensive products that look good in the shower? I look forward to hearing your response. Thanks, Matthew. I have an interesting story about looking good in the shower. I was on some, uh, we do these home use tests. And so when you're formulating hair products, you give products to consumers. And these were in-house mm -hmm. ones. So we gave them products. They used it for a week. And then we went into their homes and we interviewed them about that. And oh, it's the, the lovely world of consumer research. I do not want to, don't tell me you went in other people's showers. No, we went in their bathrooms oh, and, and checked out so what was in there. Gross. Yeah, that was the whole, it was the whole, <laughs> all right. But here is a here is a product. People would admit they would they would buy like an expensive shampoo for the bottle, 
And then when they got to the bottom of the bottle, then they would buy Suave or VO5 and they would fill it up in the bottle and keep the bottle there. So it looked like they had more expensive tastes than they actually had. You know, I used to work at Starbucks a long time ago and people would do that. I guess it's a thing. Wait, they would pour shampoo in their Starbucks cups? <laughs> no, like other oh. drinks or like cheap oh, coffee God, into yes. Starbucks sure, cups. Sure, sure. Yeah. The yeah. Dunkin' Donuts coffee into the Starbucks. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matthew, I think we can help. You came to the right place. So You did. Two hair care experts. Well, Yeah. So the way that these fortifying or densifying or thickening shampoos work is they just work on the hair. They don't actually have any impact on the scalp itself. So when you were getting you know, thickening or densifying, uh, that's really a volume claim. So they may be using volumizing ingredients or likewise, they're, they're going to steer clear of ingredients that may be heavy on the hair. That way you get fuller, thicker looking hair versus the actual fiber diameter of the hair changing itself yeah. or more hair growing uh, throughout. Additionally, fortifying is a great a great claim, which just means strengthening. And the reason strengthening is really important when you're trying to mitigate hair loss or you know, hair, hair breakage is that it's strengthening the hair. A lot of hair uh, falls to the ground from breakage, like it actually breaks somewhere along the hair shaft because there's right. a weak point or a fracture. And so typically these uh, thickening products will also use uh, reduced breakage claims as well. And that's done through strengthening and lubricating the hair fiber. I will add that it's difficult to know from a consumer standpoint what the company is really doing because while there are some things you can do to the formula to make your hair look thicker or look more dense, a lot of them just come with the marketing. And I will give you an example of a brand that I used to work on. We had VO5 and we had VO5 Normal. And then we had VO5 Extra Body. So Extra Body was our volumizing version. These products were identical, except we bumped up the surfactant level in the Extra Body one by about 2 or 3%. And that was enough. So that was enough. The, the thought was that you clean the hair more. You take more oil off of the hair. It sort of builds up static charge a bit and so that pushes the hair fibers uh, apart from each other and makes it look like you have more hair but the formulas really weren't different and so that whole idea of it being extra body was really just a marketing story now not every brand does this but some brands do this and they could be done so it's difficult to say whether the particular brand you're buying from the fortifying and densifying or thickening is a, really a substantially different formula than their normal one. Yeah. I will say, though, in terms of making a significant difference to your hair, they will not help with your hair regrowth. That's what the minoxidil and finasteride are for. But they right. really will help give you the appearance of thicker looking hair. And sometimes that really is the difference. So I would even work with your uh, stylist when you're getting your hair cut, and maybe they can provide some recommendations on how to even style your hair with those shampoos and the accompanying styling products that go with them in the thickening lines uh, to give you the appearance of dense, more dense hair. And that'll really yeah. go a long way too. Sometimes people are just styling their hair the wrong way. As far as whether or not they're um, just nice smelling and expensive products from, you know, from these salon brands like American Crew, Avita, and Kerastase, yeah, they're on the more expensive end, but if you're enjoying the way your hair is looking, keep using them. If not, you know, get some more 
economic shampoos and then just invest in a styling product because I think style will have the biggest impact on hair volume. And save your bottle and leave it in the shower and (laughs) (laughs) fill it with the cheap ones. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, our next question comes to us from Daniela. She actually attended a Patreon event that we had last year. Incidentally, if you're a patron, every so often we will have these live events that uh, we don't generally broadcast out to the general audience. So if you want another reason to join Patreon and help support the Beauty Brains. So she asked the question last year, and we thought we would bring it up uh, again here on the show. She said, how can you ensure that you are getting a good vitamin C? You have mentioned most are oxidized before getting to a consumer. So something from like the ordinary might be okay since they have no water or from uh, Geek and Gorgeous, they say they take uh, their vitamin C serums every Monday or they make them every Monday. I have used the one from The Ordinary, and they help me with my melasma. So how do you know if your vitamin C is oxidized or not? Well, first and foremost, I would like to apologize from Daniela that it took us this long to get this question on the air. And I hope she's still a patron because... She's uh, still in there. Oh, good. All right. Perfect. Uh, We have actually answered questions of hers before. So Yeah. Yeah. This was one of those things where I made a note and then I found it in a notebook and I was like, oh, shoot, we need to answer her. And it's actually a question we get a lot. Vitamin C is a hot topic on our show. If you've listened, Perry and I have differing opinions, but we will diverging opinions. Yes. <laughs> agree to disagree on it. Uh, but you know, we know that vitamin C is well loved by consumers because it comes from uh, oranges, or at least uh, pictures of oranges often appear with vitamin C products, and everyone likes oranges just about. And it's a friendly ingredient that if you're growing up in the United States, like everybody knows vitamin C and you know, yeah. it's just it's got such a positive glow about it. Yeah, because they've instilled it in us at a young age that we don't want to get scurvy, right? So if if vitamin C is good for us internally, it must be good for us topically. And I think certain vitamin Cs are good for the skin in certain doses at certain time intervals. But a lot of the time, Daniela is right. You're not getting the vitamin C that you thought you were getting uh, in a formula. So it's a big Well, that's because it's just, it's, it's difficult to formulate a stable vitamin C. But it's easy to market the story of vitamin C. So often a cosmetic brand will go to a contract manufacturer and say, hey, I want a vitamin C formula. And they will put one together and they won't care about stabilizing the vitamin C because for the most part, Valerie may disagree a little bit on this, but for the most part, I think most consumers will have a hard time telling a difference between the performance of a moisturizer and a performance of a moisturizer with vitamin C. Now, this is not to say that vitamin C doesn't work. It's just very difficult to notice differences over uh, a time. So if somebody is selling you a product with oxidized vitamin C that isn't effective, you would have a hard time as a consumer just using the product knowing that's the case. I would agree to that. I I would agree to that because a lot of times you're right. These formulators may be that just need to get this product out or they don't know any better, just popping some ascorbic acid in there and the consumer is not getting the level or it's not used at a level efficacious enough with the right directions or the right delivery system. Sometimes delivery is uh, really important as well. So it can happen. Uh, But let's take a look at the two formulas that uh, Daniela has. And 
The reason that Daniela brought up the ordinary with the fact they have no water in their formula is because water solubilizes ascorbic acid and will facilitate the oxidation reaction. And it happens uh, very quickly. So we should actually start with the Geek and Gorgeous formula, which is water-based. It has ascorbic acid in it. And while they make it every Monday, I'm not sure how fast it gets to the consumer or how fast it uh, sits on your shelf before you use it. But vitamin C oxidizes pretty quickly. Uh, I even saw one study that there was a vitamin C solution made and enclosed in a container and it, after 96 hours, uh, you know, was no longer good. So it does oxidize pretty, pretty rapidly, uh, which is why most people or most recently brands are looking at anhydrous formulas like the ordinary has. So the ordinary has ascorbic acid in propane dial, which is the solvent for the ascorbic acid with alpha arbutin present in it. So Perry, which one would you bet on to have a higher content of ascorbic acid available to deliver to skin? I would have more faith in the ordinary product in this case. Uh, just it being an anhydrous product, it's not going to be exposed to as much water and thereby not as much oxygen is going to get into it to oxidize. So that that would be my guess. The fact that the uh, Geek and Gorgeous is making their new products every Monday. I'm like, well, if you buy it Monday, maybe that's good. But what if you bought it on Wednesday? By Wednesday, it's all sort of uh, it's all sort of been oxidized and, and not effective. Yeah. So, or I, it's certainly not a hundred percent effective as it would have been on Monday. So I would just go with the ordinary in that case. I will point out a couple things about the Geek and Gorgeous project, product, though, that I do appreciate. One, it has dimethyl isosorbide in it, and that is a penetration enhancer. So that helps facilitate any actives into the skin. I also see ferulic acid and tocopherol present, which are known to stabilize vitamin C. That is a L'Oreal patent. I'm not sure how they're getting around that or if they've licensed the technology or if they have investment from L'Oreal. They are in the UK, so they'd be part of the UK patent space, which I'm not totally familiar on. So I would get see some stability from that, but I still think your safest bet is to avoid the water. Well, fascinating stuff, Valerie. You know, Maybe one day we just do uh, a vitamin C debate because <laughs> I've been looking at the the research of vitamin C and eh, I'm, I'm 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 not as impressed. <laughs> I don't you know, know maybe we I'd be open to that, but we'd yeah, have I'm... to do it after I gave you some vitamin C products okay. to try, Absolutely. and you don't get to judge yourself. Uh, All right, your wife gets to. Oh, okay. Well, I will be I will be up for that. So <laughs> speaking of up for that, how about we move on to the next question? And this is an audio one. Ooh. Hi, Perry. My name's Vanessa. I live near San Francisco, but I'm originally from Britain. I would love to know more about mineral oil and petroleum-based products that are used in cosmetics, whether it be for hair. Uh, I'm mainly concerned with things like moisturizers and body creams. There is a lot of information around whether they are any good or not. Um, It seems to be sort of secretly hidden mineral oil if it isn't a product. Please tell us more about the grades, the qualities, the purposes of mineral oil and also any you know, contraindications as in long-term use of mineral oil or petroleum-based products may lead to. I do find that chapsticks, for me, 
I just end up with my lips more dry. And so the theory that it draws moisture from your body to the surface and long term dries out your skin more makes sense to me. But please tell us everything. Don't hold anything back. Thanks so much, Perry. Bye. Does she know that Valerie's on the show too? <laughs> you know, some people love me. Some people love you. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the day I do a solo show. And I'm going to start the show by telling people... It's Valerie and Perry's on vacation, so it's a solo show. So if you don't like me, I'd pretty much hang up now. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're going to call up every listener and do the show like live on their phone for them. Oh, my gosh. I would love to do that. (laughs) That's right. Well, let's talk about mineral oil. Good old mineral oil. She had a bunch of questions here. But first, before we do that, Valerie... Let's talk about why do why do companies use mineral oil? Mineral oil is fantastic. It's one of the most effective emollients that you can find. In fact, it's even approved by the FDA in the United States as a skin protectant. Yes, it's occlusive. Some people don't like that, but that's why mineral oil is so effective because it is occlusive on the skin. I also like to use mineral oil in the hair for very specific styling products, not usually shampoos or conditioners because... It gives the hair a certain feel and look, especially when you're looking for these wet or hydrated looks. I, I wouldn't use it in a, in a hair product that makes your hair look dry. Um, but I think it's fantastic. It's, uh, as a formulator, pretty inert, easy to use. I would agree with all of that assessment. Um, mineral oil is continued to use be used in the cosmetic industry because it's effective. That's the number one reason. And there's a lot of there's a lot of it, so it's a relatively inexpensive ingredient. If you compare it to an emollient derived from plants, it just takes a lot more effort to to grow a plant, to harvest it, to isolate the oil. And, you know, mineral oil is actually a byproduct of the petroleum industry, and so it's the part that you know the gas companies don't want that. Um, cut of hydrocarbons and so that's just kind of the it would be tossed away that's the thing about the cosmetic industry we use a lot of ingredients that would otherwise be thrown away by other industries the petroleum industry the the food industry uh, some things not as much Um, and now that we've been uh, using ingredients that are come from agricultural directly we're starting to infringe on the food growing ability of our population, which I'm not sure is a great idea. So what you're saying is mineral oil is an upcycled ingredient, actually. It, it is upcycled. <laughs> yeah, we want that. Uh, people still don't like it. You know, the I'm sure the, the, the green chemist is not going to say, hey, let's use mineral oil. But, you know, it's until we stop using gas uh, powered cars, we're going to have this mineral oil and mm-hmm. we should be doing something with it. Now, let's talk about the quality of the ingredient. You asked about the quality grades. One of the myths about mineral oil is that it's been banned in Europe. Uh, that is absolutely n- not true. It, it's just a myth. Um, but it, it is true that you to use mineral oil in a formula, you have to use a certain uh, 
it, it has to meet certain quality standards. So it has to be processed and got, you know, all of the uh, dangerous hydrocarbons have to be removed from it. So the stuff that we use in the cosmetic industry does not have those poisons or other toxins because they have to be removed before we use them in the cosmetic industry. So that's the kind of grade we get here, but it's a pharmaceutical company. It's used in drugs too. So this is an ingredient that has been demonstrated to be safe for a long time. That's one of the myths I always hear is that mineral oil in cosmetic products or pharmaceutical products are carcinogenic. And as Perry mentioned, mineral oil has a very specific process for for cleaning it up, for making it pure, for removing all impurities. So it is safe to use. People don't want to use carcinogenic products, right? So this is a pretty long-standing. We all have access to the same grades now. For the most part, we're all buying from the same suppliers, right? There's like a, a three or four mineral oil suppliers that you would buy right. from, or honestly, maybe even two to three uh, that you would buy from in the U.S. for cosmetic products. So you're getting the good stuff. They know they know what it's going in. Uh, they know who you are, and it has a very specific nomenclature with it so that you know it's suitable for use in personal care. And that whole notion that medical grade or salon grade or something is getting some different grade of ingredients, no, they're not. Everybody's mineral oil. If you're using the cosmetic mineral oil, everyone's got the same mineral oil. Exactly. So that being said... Knowing that we're using really pure mineral oil, that is one of the most effective emollients on the market, which is why all these skincare brands and makeup brands are using it. Um, are there any negative long-term effects? I don't think so. I haven't seen any evidence that there are either, no. Um, and if, if you're talking about that case where you mentioned your lips felt chapped um, by using mineral oil... On some level, that is due to you being you using the product and uh, being used to how your lips feel with the product on, and then when it rubs off, now your lips feel sort of like they normally do, and so then that makes it feel dry and feels like you have to put more on. So there's some psychological impact there, but that's not leading to a long-term drying of your lips, for example. Yeah. I do think that some people with acne like to avoid mineral oil. And I always say, if you're concerned about acne, just don't use mineral oil-based products on your face. Save it for the rest of your body because it is very efficacious. And I think it's perfect, especially now that we're in the dead of winter for those winter legs or, um, you know, other dry skin that you have on your body. Yeah. For snowshoeing, right? When you, you want to have your nice winter legs for when you're out there <laughs> snowshoeing. <laughs> I don't know. In, they snowshoe in, in LA. Angeles, I don't, yeah. How about oh this difference gosh. between mineral oil and well, she said petroleum, but I think she means petrolatum. Yeah. Well, you can find mineral oil directly on an ingredient list. You can also find petrolatum directly on an ingredient list, but there are, as you said, these sneaky names that yeah. Don't necessarily replace mineral oil or petrolatum because those are specific names and ingredients that would go in an ingredient label. But the truth is a lot of ingredients are derived from mineral oil or petrolatum right. and or even just benzene chemistry in general, which also yeah. comes from the petroleum industry. And those names are really hard to find because you have to go back to the origins and the starting ingredients of 
of the ingredient to know whether or not it is petroleum derived. And you're not going to be able to tell that from an ingredient label. In fact, uh, a lot of surfactants, um, emulsifiers, thickeners can come from the petroleum industry, and you yeah. would never know uh, looking at the label. Absolutely. Now, as far as mineral oil compared to petrolatum, the best way to explain it is this: mineral oil, uh, it uh, well, oil when you when you when you mine oil from the ground, what you oil is composed of hydrocarbons, okay, and carbon has the ability to link itself together in a number, uh, and we call it a hydrocarbon chain, right? So you could have, if there's only one carbon in the molecule, that's called methane, it's a gas. But you can latch another one onto it. So two carbons is uh, ethane, and these are gases too. But when you get longer, like when you have 12 carbons, that's like laurel. And so when you see laurel acid or some sodium laurel sulfate, that means it has 12 carbons. Well, if you're getting really far, when it comes to mineral oil, mineral oil is a cut past 20 carbons. So C20, it goes up to C40-something, I think, for mineral oil. When you have petrolatum, petrolatum goes even higher where mm -hmm. you get to C60s and the C100s and just a lot more carbons linked together. So the difference there, mineral oil comes out as a liquid version. It's very thin, very thin liquid. Mm -hmm. Petrolatum is more of a waxy paste. A very very thick uh, paste. So kind of like what Vaseline looks like. Exactly. Actually, <laughs> petrolatum just looks like Vaseline. I think when yeah. they when they first made Vaseline, they just took petrolatum, put it in a tub, and said, "Hey, this is Vaseline." <laughs> I bet you this chemist was like, so. "Boom, done. Next project." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that is the main difference there. But they are both composed of mostly straight chain hydrocarbons. Uh, do we have anything else about uh, mineral oil? What do we have here? No, I think it, that's it a... It works a... fabulously on your skin. Yep. You don't need to be afraid of it. Uh, and if you see that thing, uh, some companies will do the thing where they take a saltine cracker and they dip it in mineral oil, and oh my God, it doesn't dry out. I'm like, that's just a, that's just a gimmick. It does, says nothing about uh, what it's doing to your skin. Uh, it's an emollient. Uh, it can be an occlusive agent, and if anything, it's going to help with moisture retention in your skin rather than drying your skin out. Well said. Looks like we have time for one more question. This comes to us from Laura from Patreon. She says, in European wax salons, aloe hair minimizing slow wash and slow lotion, is there an ingredient that slows the hair regrowth after the wax? Thank you. And thank you for being a patron, uh, Laura. All right, hair minimizing lotions. Valor, have you used any of these things? I have not, but this is a set of products put out by the European Wax Center, which is a, a center for hair removal. And it's a chain though, right? Around yeah, the United States. Okay. Yeah. And it's not just one product that Laura's asking about. It's actually a collection. And so it's they have sold, a whole system, huh? It's a system. It's called Slow Aloe Hair Minimizing System. And it comes with a body wash, a body lotion, and a body polish. So Ooh. In warmer months, you want to stay moisturized, but not want anything too rich. That makes the aloe hair minimizing system the perfect system to cleanse, exfoliate, and slow hair regrowth. And um, they don't really go into the technology about how it slows hair regrowth, but... For good reason, <laughs> <laughs> I would guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but the, the thing that I can say probably works the best is the body polish. And that's because... 
Uh, this is a physical exfoliant that removes dull skin, which leaves skin feeling smooth. Sometimes when hair regrows in your legs can feel, uh, let's just talk legs for an example, they can feel really rough. Um, and two, with this physical body polish, maybe you're breaking some hairs off. Uh, but it specifically says the body polish slows hair regrowth and reduces hair thickness. Uh, but they don't tell you how, how it goes into that or what ingredients are doing it, but they do tell you what it's formulated without, which is mineral oil, (laughs) (laughs) which we just talked about phthalates, hydroquinone, triclosan, parabens, formaldehyde, and gluten. It's always been interesting to me, the marketing story where you spend half of your website telling people what you haven't put in your product. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, did they put uh, uranium in their product? I don't (laughs) know. I don't see that in there either. Like, yeah. Yeah. So really what I think it's doing is it's just making your skin feel smooth, making your skin feel soft and hydrated and fresh. And it's probably mind over matter. So if you get your, uh, you know, legs shaved or shave your legs or wax your legs, and then you start using this system, it keeps them feeling smooth like the day you got them waxed. That's the best I can come up with. I'm not aware of any ingredients that actually work to slow hair growth. I was shown an ingredient a handful of years ago by a supplier, but they uh, were they out of France? You know, I don't, <laughs> we know that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, uh, where uh, it was actually an, an extract company, and they said they had this extract that slowed hair growth down. And one of the salespeople said, "Yeah, it really works. I put it on my beard, and my beard is growing back slower." And but they they really. You know, we're kind of... Oh, wait, the salesperson told you that? Well, it's got to be true. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting. The data was interesting, but I actually never really got to try it myself. So, But that's the only thing I've ever heard of uh, in the industry is this one extract. Valerie, I have actually a little experience with a product like this. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I will say right offhand, and doing research, I was on a project where we wanted to develop a hair minimizing lotion. It was when I was working on the St. Ives brand. Mm-hmm. And we we wanted to, so we scoured the the universe of all the things that were claimed to be hair minimizing or to slow hair growth. And honestly, there wasn't anything. This if, if it actually did work, it would be a drug active. But as far as cosmetic actives, there are a lot of things you know, traditionally claim to it, but there was nothing that had good data behind it or that we could find a work. So, so there is that. But what we did do is that we found that compared to people who didn't put anything on their legs, if, if we gave them our lotion, we told them, oh, this is supposed to slow down the hair growth. And we did a study, a consumer study where they shaved their legs, they used a lotion on one and didn't on the other, and then we asked them, well, how did did, did, did it slow the hair growth in, in one leg versus the other leg? And you know what? 79% of people said it increased, or it slowed the hair growth. <laughs> so. Well, I guess uh, Perry could have saved me this whole question and just told this story <laughs> up front, and the answer would be, you know what? It's in the lotion, so get the lotion. Right, right. Uh, I, the the place that the the hair growth minimizing is, it's in our brains because you use the products. It doesn't actually affect the speed uh, of the hair growth, uh, but the story is compelling and it makes you feel like your hair is growing slower. That's almost as good as it actually growing slower, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think so. 
You know what also is nice? Uh, the music that I hear in the background. Oh, gosh, that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, you know, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. If you want to get your questions answered more quickly or you want to see special Patreon events, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe at any level. If you get a chance, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Or Spotify. We're on Spotify, and- at least for the moment. Do you think we should pull from Spotify because of the whole Joe Rogan thing? Uh, I think it's fine. <laughs> and if if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com, and we might play it on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. We have a Facebook page and a TikTok account that will be launched sometime this year. Sometime. <laughs> well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>